0: Welcome to Speak Sex, I am your host Eve Eurydice, I am Greek from the island of Lesbos, Uh, I want to thank you for listening and thank you for trusting me as your sex whisperer here on Jolt Radio. i do believe that by starting to speak sex we're also smashing the patriarchy and we're doing that because it'll be good for both men and women so the goal of the podcast is to change the world through sex the articulation of sex the speaking of desire the finding of the words and bringing light and consciousness into all things that are related to sex and relationship and by doing that, we're going to retrain our neural pathways and retrain our social habits and um, get ourselves into a space that's no longer a dichotomy between body and mind, between um, sex or practice and personal identity and get away from the objectification of the female Body and being as part of our sexual expression for both men and women. Um, so, I'm the writer of three books on female sexuality Satiric on USA with Scribner, F32 with Virago Press. I've been a writer of the Sex Files column and staff writer for Spin Magazine on issues of sexuality. Um, I've been on TV shows, talk shows on this topic. I'm a multimedia artist with the theme of female sexuality. Um, I give advice on sex on is e- askeve.com. Um, and today's guest is a lovely young uh, woman who was born here in Miami. Her name is Kathleen Chambliss. Welcome to the show, Kathleen. Thank you. Um, She has an MFA in poetry from FIU. She's also a fellow visual artist and an activist. Her work has appeared in uh, many publications. I love Woosie Mag, Storm Cycle, Grief Diaries, and her debut collection of poetry called Neck Romantic. Love the name. (laughs) (laughs) It's exactly what I talk about all the time was a finalist for the Bisexual Book Awards in 2016. So, um, Kathleen, I would love to hear about your journey and um, how you found this identity, the name of the identity. You know, it's not quite the heterodominant thing we are handed by our parents. So you had to go on a journey and find yourself and eliminate all the extra stuff (laughs) right the fluff that probably was there when you were a kid so um what what led you to become the woman you are today
1: oh that's a loaded question yeah Um, (laughs) so i guess you want me to answer like in terms of like sexuality wise or
0: yeah sexuality but also the story you know the the journey the hero the heroine's journey
1: (laughs) okay um well, I'm from Miami. Um, I guess I've always been into the arts, like, as long as I can remember. Um, I've always kind of been a little different, not really, like, fit in with the other girls. I'm sure I was clocked as queer when I was young. Oh, Looking you were? Back now, mm. Yeah, because I wanted to be a gynecologist, and one of my mom's friends made fun of that. And that was, like, the first time I realized, oh, there's something wrong with this so weird yeah the gynecologist my dad was a gynecologist why would they yeah. think
0: that has anything to do with sex mm. oh. I didn't
1: even really think I was eight so right away
0: unbelievable uh, yeah
1: yeah um what else I don't know I guess like a. Uh, I really realized, I guess, my own sexuality probably in middle school, Mm -hmm. Um, and then in high school started forming more of an identity, but was definitely like closeted. Um, I started sleeping with women when I was fifteen. I didn't start sleeping with men until I was eighteen. So you did sleep with girls Mm -hmm.
0: um, in high school. Yes. And it was classmates, or older girls, or girls from other, other groups, other social groups.
1: Oh, you know. The best friend. That oh, the you're best just friend. Really close with her. Right <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Yeah, I did that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a good experience. <laughs> um, you know, I did a lot of photography too, um, and I also wrote poetry. And I'm very much like sort of a confessional poet, um, and that comes out in my visual work as well. But eventually, um, I briefly went to school in Tallahassee. Really hated Tallahassee, um, but the one good thing that came out of it uh, was like becoming a creative writing major, and so I kind of chased that dream. Did my masters at FIU, um, but yeah, a lot of stuff happened between then. Um, I think. So, so like you inst- slept with
0: girls yeah. when you were fifteen, more mm-hmm. than one. Yes. And um, so at, at that stage, probably the kids in high school thought you were queer right Apparently. or it was secret or it was secret it, like it you was you didn't tell anyone you did I didn't it. tell anyone okay i wasn't like I N- nobody didn't. was out it was just like in, in secret but then you'd go to school and not show anyone right right not holding hands or i mean people
1: knew that like about me knew. and my uh-huh. friends and oh, okay. stuff like that but i didn't realize like how much people actually talked about it till like i guess the last high school party that ever happened. Like someone got really drunk and started talking about it and it was really weird. But, you know.
0: Because it was considered uh, outsider sexual choice? Because it
1: was clearly like uh, homophobic and that's like why they were bringing it up and talking about it at a party and being like, oh my God, can you believe this? Blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And like, oh, now that they've graduated we can actually say what we think about this kind of thing Mm -hmm.
0: happened. And they're only their only um, resistance or dislike of it was that it wasn't normative, that's it? It was nothing else, just simply that there was no penis in, in the picture?
1: Well, I, it was a boy that was talking stuff, so yeah. I'm assuming he has like was threatened mm-hmm. in some way. Mm-hmm. Emasculated, probably.
0: Wow. Yep, <laughs> That's what the w- that's the word, emasculated. The idea that, you know... Every, everything you know leads to emasculation is just not you know <laughs> there's like so much masculinity around <laughs> especially in miami which is a heavily masculine town um so and then but then you did uh, have a boy a male lover at 18 yeah uh uh-huh. how did that happen you were in college and you wanted to try something
1: yeah i just kind of wanted to get it out of the way
0: oh so it was kind of like give my virginity away well i wouldn't
1: have called myself a virgin i had already been sleeping with women but i was just like ah why not
0: Mm. okay
1: yeah so that's like pretty much that Um, so you did
0: i'm just i'm sorry but i I love to be literal go ahead (laughs) so you did "Quote unquote," and I, I know this is a, a poor word choice, but you did lose your virginity to a girl, right? Yes. Okay, good. Uh mm-hmm. Sweet. Thanks. Um, and then um, what comes next? Um,
1: well, I ended up, I guess, down at FIU, um, where I became a women's studies major with an English major. Um, But, you know, I had some really great professors, like Dr. Brandi Wilson at FSU, who um, taught a lesbian lit class. And I think, like, once I had started reading books by, like, she showed us Valencia by Michelle T. Like, once I saw that, I actually saw, like, representation of, like, girls like me, right? That, like, like queer punk kids, and it, it gave me, like, this sort of permission to write about stuff that I did not know that I could write about. Or that there were voices like that, and that they were, you know, acceptable, and not only that, just loved. You yeah, It's great. So I learned that, um, I guess, in undergrad, um, and then grad school, I had moved into a queer punk house or anarchist uh, collective. Um, I lived there about like five years, and I don't know. It was that really like opened me up, like sexually, and like helped me, I guess, in a lot of ways, become just open with who I am, um, realize that I'm more like polyamorous. Um, so how do you yeah. practice
0: that in practical terms again? Because we, we're also, you know, we are translating this to an audience that doesn't necessarily experience it. So that's right. part of our calling here is to, t- you know, to share in a language that's clear. So how do you practice that polyamorous? How does it, how does it work for you?
1: um i mean i think it's like different with every yeah sort Mm -hmm. of situation Mm -hmm. um have a primary partner and then maybe other partners but i feel like everything the main key is like communication Mm -hmm. and talking about it Mm -hmm. um i haven't really done the thing where you try to like find someone if you already have a primary and you do the whole like looking for your unicorn thing like i don't i don't mess with that too much um but yeah I, I try to be like open and honest communication is pretty much it
0: and okay let's go let's backtrack for a for second. For a long
1: time too um mm-hmm. i wasn't comfortable with having a primary so i would just date people that already had primaries so i didn't gotcha. have to satisfy that for them they already had that taken care of right yeah yeah
0: that makes that's easier yeah i find that easier yeah <laughs> i agree <laughs>
1: yeah well uh-huh. it can't be dramatic sometimes yeah
0: well, especially you know, n- we writers are solitary beings, you know. So people who are not don't understand how much we love, you know, our time alone and how busy we are. Like I'm so busy when I'm alone, but happily busy. You know, I have all my creative projects, and there is there are more than I have time for. Um, so yeah, having to kind of satisfy the, the needs of a primary la- relationship, which are way more than sexual is very time-consuming, you know, and um, there's something to be said for for being, like, secondary. Yeah. <laughs> Source. Um, but I, I was backtracking because I wanted you to describe a little life in that anarchist house. Was it a commune? Or I wouldn't call it a commune, mm.
1: um, but, you know, like, just different, um, different subcultures, you know, we form our communities. Um, so I guess that house is called The Boiling Point, and there's a lot of history of activism in that house. Um, the people there did take back the land um, a while ago. Lots of really important protests with the food trade agreements. Um, so there's a lot of, like, really rich activist history Yeah, what else? There. Um, what else? Well, it really is just, like, a queer safe space, and it's mainly, like, queer femmes that are there like Mm -hmm. not that anyone Mm -hmm. um whose mask would be like rejected but it is more of like a safe space for queer Mm femmes and i i really appreciated that about the house um they were very much like environmentally conscious Conscious, yeah yeah they had like a gray water system um grew a lot of like their own food beautiful garden and stuff and Mm. i don't know it was just really nice like i learned um to appreciate like women on another level, and like right. that bond between women and how important that is,
0: right? And or between and other women fems. and the land, yeah. yeah, yeah, and between women and nature and the cycles of nature, and you know, the old religion, and all of that,
1: that, and just in solidarity. Like, I, I met a lot of like badass activists there, you know, like lots of inspirational, like, femmes to look up to, um, mm-hmm. and made really great friendships. I mean. I really got to see like what a what a strong femme was. Like yeah, yeah really really cool people.
0: Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I think that's one of the most uh, you know, practical ways to reclaim our, you know, identity as women is to kind of try to go back to right before patriarchy. I mean, we don't have really written record, but we can imagine, right? We can more or less feel. Yeah. <laughs> our ancient, ancient mothers and what they were doing and, you know, go back into that lifestyle and and I do think that, you know, male culture is so attached to the screen, right? Um, I think that this whole, like, social media, big tech, um, uber-capitalist greed, Again, I don't, I don't want to speak in binary terms at all because it's not about physical gender, like who has what genitals at all. We're just talking about the energy, right? But the energy of patriarchy, which is not the energy of like the guys, the one guy or the other guy you meet, but overall, right, the overall system is there. And I feel that the energy of, femme, of, of matriarchy um, is in nature, you know, w- which... Is what's being destroyed, of course. So it's not it's not only real and life threatening, but also extremely symbolic that you know patriarchy survives and thrives on the destruction of mother nature. Um, but I think that I had a guest actually in the program who said that um, religions. Well, this is William Reich really who said it that religions go in cycles, in long cycles, and it's like animism polytheism, monotheism, atheism and then back to animism. So there is a sense that we're going back to animism which is the you know nature religion and one way or another, um, whether because we choose to or because we're forced to by the environmental conditions, we're gonna go back you know closer to nature in our ways in our faith um, you know in our understanding, because you know m- big media has pushed us so far away from it you know that um, we have a craving for it just to, to balance all the time we spend on the computer on the phone on the uh, you know watch <laughs> um, in front of the TV you know all of that I feel that more and more people just need that balance you know it's like visceral um, the, you know and for me like the podcast is one of these experiences where we offer something that's real and visceral and raw and you know you cannot like get an app and filter stuff <laughs> um like Yelena. yeah so um so what other um okay so let's go back i mean i'm trying to weave sex into this other sure. conversation but i find the other conversation very interesting <laughs> um so i'm going to say something else as it comes to me one of the reasons that um I started the podcast. Is that I started writing a lot after Me Too uh, for that first year. I was just obsessed. I stopped what I was doing, uh, you know, in my creative work, couldn't go back to it. It was on- honestly like a consciousness changing moment because I had no control of what was going on. I had just so many thoughts and what was coming to me. Was that no matter how feminist and femme I was identifying as, and always had, you know, I even went through a period where I was a post-feminist, um, the language that I worked with was male. It was created by patriarchy to enforce and support its o- overall system, and that's the only system we know. That's all we have. Uh, the you know, I mean, the laws, um, the 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 care the you know the all the customs um both the moral as well as you know practical ways that we have are all supporting that patriarchy system um there is no alternative you know there there is really no space otherwise so i realized that my sexuality which i had thought was very you know firm strong um was actually staying still within the male lens and I was looking at my body and objectifying it myself and getting off of that I- in a kind of a porn way because that's all I, I knew to get turned on. And in a sense I was like pimping myself for my own pleasure and by pimping I don't, th- okay there was no money involved, Luckily, I'm, I'm very conscious of like provider sex and it's, Else, <laughs> um, but that's why I, you know, I suddenly realized that I was a participant in this whole thing, and um, and, there and perhaps there was no other way. I definitely myself hadn't experienced another way because so, you know, I felt like um, you know, a turncoat, <laughs> an informer <laughs> or something. So I tried to put that. In words that were not the words we were given, right, and found it so difficult. So, one of the reasons I started these conversations on the air was exactly that to just get testimonies and testimonials to this experience of where do women fit and what, we, you know, what's women's language, women's sexual language, women's sexual practice, um, you know, how we can make space for ourselves. Okay, Mm -hmm.
1: that's interesting Um, well I guess like my experience with uh, Me Too movement is kind of different Um, so I mean I've always been part of like punk and activist communities so I had actually um, called out a person who was really I was in an abusive relationship with whatever assaulted me all that great stuff. Um, who was then?
0: <laughs> sorry. In I'm a really so sorry. No,
1: no, 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 no. I got it. Like, um, in a really well-known punk band. So, um, I don't know. It just got to the point where I was sick of everyone worshipping a terrible rapist asshole. Misogynist? <laughs> so, P? misogynist, yeah. Uh-huh. So, whatever. Um, I did a call out anonymously. And, like, in punk and activist communities, this was really common. And, like, how people get their forms of justice um, and to ask for accountability instead of like working with the police, you Mm -hmm. know? So I did that. Um, It was a really intense experience. I definitely got outed. My like identity was revealed and all that stuff. Um, Did anything happen to the abuser? Yes, both the record labels dropped Um, him, lost his band, but then also other women started coming forward because he'd done this to a lot of women.
0: Good for you. And
1: then, thank you. Um, And then, like, a little bit after the, like, Me Too movement started happening. And so then it's just a lot of, like, it was just hard to, like, listen to. It was already, like, really triggering. And I had already been going through my own thing. I think this was, like, maybe seven months after it started getting big. He had hurt someone, too. And she went through the legal system, like, a more recent partner. um, And the DA wouldn't get involved. Like, she brought evidence that she had been raped by this person, um, and the DA wouldn't press charges or anything like that. So, um, you know, he had straight up, like, you know, she at the time she was carrying, like, his baby was his ex, and, mm. but they were, like, split up, you know. Um, he went after her, like, with a knife and, like, put it to her stomach, said, like, be with me or I'll cut the kid out. He was punching her. There were luckily two witnesses to call the cops, and, like, otherwise, who knows what would have happened, you know? And they were there and, like, helped keep her safe but all he got was like probation
0: unbelievable
1: and so she was hella pissed rightfully so um and she took it to the sentinel and so then the sentinel picked up the story and then it went like Good, yeah. viral like Good. and i think that was like honestly the most like justice that came of it because eventually violated probation like um threatening her threatening um me etc um and just anyway um was supposed to serve till the end of January, from like August to January, and then instead got out at the end of November. It's it's and that's it. It's that's, that's,
0: that's the. That's nothing. Considering right. this physical assault and attempt to, right? Whatever, kill so like it, when people
1: say like go to the cops, why didn't they tell the cops? Why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? Well, like here's a really good example of like what happens when you do that.
0: No, it's very hard. You have you to know. do it consistently, on and on and on, like doggedly. Um, And still you have no guarantee. But basically what I think, you know, it. it, many women give up because it just poisons your daily life and it's very hard to carry that burden day in, day out for as long as it takes to pursue justice. For sure.
1: For sure. And, like, the other survivor, like, I really, like, respect her and, like, how she really, like, went through it. Like, really tried really hard to, you know, her best. But I think her and I... She
0: didn't have a um I'm sorry what is that called when they can't come restraining order on him
1: so at the time um she was pregnant and the lawyer advised her not to do that and just oh. to give him like results and stuff or whatever so she didn't seem like a crazy lady taking his baby away um but then after that yeah like after he attacked her got a restraining order left to like another city and uh-huh. yeah, you know the
0: restraining order at least it's something concrete that you tell the cops okay he violated the restraining order
1: yeah, it is yeah. It is concrete, and I guess it just depends on if they want to they take wanna that do seriously about or not. It. Yes, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, no. I I know. I was just reading last night, and I don't know if you saw it in the news, but I kept reading it and rereading it, trying to understand, but really it's just that crazy will of the male animal that he will not be denied, no matter what. And I don't know where it comes from, that they can take no... You know, it's just something snaps. Um, If they've been told yes for so long, or at least they think it's yes, they take it for yes, they read every sign as a yes, right? And they don't stop and introspect at all. And they just go by this kind of like will or greed of the conqueror. I'm not quite sure what it is. But I was reading the story about this girl, I think in Virginia, and she's 14 and she was communicating online with a man who is in his late 20s, well 26, something like that, in New Zealand, and he convinced her, they were on a social platform, you know, he flattered her, he convinced her to send him nude photos, maybe video, and, and videos, I don't know, they didn't say exactly what, um, but you know, sex, some sort of sexual sexting, sex video, something. Then she broke off with him. She told him she didn't want to communicate anymore. It was over. She hadn't received or asked for anything from him. And he got really mad. He felt really rejected, as if I guess he had owned her. He got on the plane, not even a man of means. He got on like three planes, a Greyhound bus, (laughs) I forget what else, and got to her house in the exurbs, like outside the town in Virginia, and Knocked, took a stone and knocked to break the basement door. And her mom opened the door and he, and she said, I have a gun, uh, you know, whoever you may be, I have a gun, if you come in, I'll shoot you. He didn't care. He kept breaking the thing. He tried to break into the house, knocked the f- m- front door down. The mom shot him twice, hit him. Um, and they found that on the way he had bought like a rope and handcuffs and whatever to a blindfold, <gasps> I guess to kidnap the girl and take her back to New Zealand, oh my gosh yeah yeah, but but I mean the woman told him numerous times, "I have a gun, and I'm gonna use it, and um you know it didn't stop him it it just goes beyond you know it just takes over whatever this control this this you know mania to possess the woman is, you know, especially if they feel that she seems vulnerable, that she's been like their woman, his woman, you know, if she has the baby, his baby, that whole thing, you know, it's, t- um. but I think that these days, because we finally have DNA testing, so every man can actually know if he wants to, you know, like clear patrimony, you're the father, you're not the father, a lot of this, like crazy possessiveness, you know, can subside <laughs> <laughs> um, if we, if we women, you know, work on it, work consciously on it, you know, and and we just can't give them the pr- impression that they own our soul. I think that's, you know, we can't. We have to hold something back for ourselves.
1: Yeah, I mean. that's interesting what you're saying and i think it goes back to the right of like women as property and like possessions to own and that male entitlement over female bodies like the last one of the last like um marital like rape laws i think was like enacted finally in like the 80s in louisiana was like the last one and the defense had tried to say like well his wife's his property so she's not really you, you not, know
0: cannot be raped because they're married
1: yeah exactly um and that that was like the last time that was like obviously not admissible and so that was the last like case actually um so you have all all that sort of stuff like going on yeah. um and i think like a lot of men are really intimidated by women when they're okay like by themselves or without them um like you just see it a lot like even like okay i drive i drive for lift on and off sometimes and like there's definitely a lot of men that get like, they don't understand that I'm not afraid to drive at night. And they're like, aren't you scared? And it's like, oh, <laughs> the ones that are asking me that, I'm like, okay, all right, I know like, how to look at you now, but they're just like, and some other guy was like in my car saying some BS, like, oh, you know, like, I'm such a good guy. Cause like, I could rape you and I won't right now. And I was like, And <laughs> an <asshole>. ride. <laughs> But it was just like, oh, okay, yeah, like what? Are you, good for you for not being a rapist. Like you want a fucking cookie for that? You know, like <laughs> wow, you are your... so woke, bro. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna wake your feminist you driver. <laughs> yeah, like, suddenly, I mean, you get in a lift and suddenly that's a thought. Mm-hmm. And like and and other like lift drivers, they've talked about it to other women, like saying like they they just get pissed that you're not afraid to do that by yourself and. They want to take that They want to teach you a lesson. Yeah, and it's also like, well, do you think I would be doing this if I had another option right now? Also too, you know, like it's like they seem to think like we should be out like partying and doing all these other things. I don't know. I don't know what they think most of the time, but it is really unsettling how mad like they get if you're not afraid to do something.
0: Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. I agree. I, I agree. It uh, it does destabilize. Again, the heteronormative, um, you know, average male. We're not talking about Know sensitive, you know, brothers, but but um, th- it does destabilize their sense of identity very much. Right? That's what I think, you know. I mean, I have had definitely relationships that ended basically because of that, you know. And and I feel that m- men that I've been with have always um felt left out of my enti- entirety of my consciousness, you know. Um, But they, you know, eventually relationships ended because they just felt I didn't want them enough, need them enough, you know, go their way enough. Um, uh, And you're a successful woman, too. That must really intimidate them. And I'm so used to being by myself and getting things done that I need to do. Um, Not used to, uh, you know, kind of depending on another. And... um, And also I'm not used to mixing sexual desire with that desire, you know, like even the sex, the the romance, the sharing, a a degree of domesticity is okay. It really has nothing to do, though, with work, with where I'm the rest of the time. Um, You know, my creative life to me, they're totally separate. And when a man gets close enough, he wants access to all of you which is ridiculous. But again, that's like that Disney myth or whatever, the romance era myth of like the damsel in distress, you know, which is really not coincidentally. It began just as, um, you know, the extreme control of patriarchy over the female body was loosening up with the rise of the bourgeoisie. So until then, we were 100% chattel. It's like, you know, you're raised, your father chooses who, you're married, and then you're sent to that guy's, you know, household, and then you stay there, you have his children, and that's the end of you. Um, and that was l- women's lives for, you know, all of Christianity, basically. So, you know, more than a thousand years. And then when women began being educated, you know, again, with the beginning of middle class, um, and... Uh, started writing books, you know, even participating, uh, you know, uh, not very much, but participating in social life, immediately we have this new idea, the romanticism, right? So (laughs) the woman is still passive. Her job is to be saved, to be loved, to be honored, to be treated like a queen, whatever that means, have the door open, you know. um, you don't have to do anything. You know, don't touch anything. You know, that—that that is not being on a pedestal. We women mistake that if we fall. You know, we fall for that whole setup, and we're like, "Oh my God, I'm loved so much. I'm being put on a pedestal." And it's so, not. No, you're not allowed to do anything. You know, all your power is taken away from you. You—you you know, you—you're like the ghost of yourself. You're a puppet. That's what you've become. You know, um, so just being, just looking good. And being compliant in bed, and then maybe if it's a r- long-term relationship, bearing, you know, offspring, that doesn't give you any identity, any say in the world, you know. Um, so yeah, I think that some men are still threatened by, by you know, the blossoming from identity and voice, but I believe that if they a moment and not react on instinct and kind of um, process it, they would see how much it would help them. It, it helps them, first of all, it liberates them from the extreme burden of always being the one who proposes, who has to like not be shy, not be self conscious, always ready, uh, and it relieves them from the burden of providing providing money for everybody, for the woman, buying the dinner, buying the movie ticket, buying the, you know, whatever, it depends at the level. <laughs> the purse, the shoes, the trips, the, etc. I don't know, you know, the cosmetic surgeries and add to it more and more. <laughs> um, and, and I feel that if we, uh, you know, if, if we women have like a, s- a, a strong and, and self-driven financial life that's not dependent on men. then we also practice uh, you know th- discovering our desire regardless of financial considerations right regardless of like the provider sex thing. So you don't have to think like oh, This guy is like respected by his peers, you know. He has money or he has fame or he has status, or so he's like more attractive um, than another guy who may or may not be actually for you more suitable and more charismatic, but then he doesn't meet that criteria, you know. And many women choose their mates as if they were gonna have babies with everyone, but they're not going to, but they're still stuck in that mode. But I think that if you feel confident you can take care of yourself financially and if you drive a lift power to you like what's wrong with that you're just driving it's beautiful i think um and in that i mean that's like one of the numerous steps that i think will take us you know back to a place where women are stronger and more respected
1: i also think they just can't understand the fact that like we don't need them or that i can find a lot um, and more in another woman, right? I think, like, the main assumptions that are made about me, because I'm, like, 30, whatever, oh, are you married, you have children, etc., it's, like, so out of, like, someone's mind that it could be, like, oh, well, actually, no, or, I don't know, um, or, like, oh, like, they wouldn't think, like, are you married to a woman, right? Um, and that's probably, like, one of the most common, like, questions I get from these, like, dudes, they're, like, oh, well, why isn't your man driving lift for you or blah 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 and i'm not gonna like be like i don't have one or even like if you if i came out and said like oh actually like i like women you don't know if that person's gonna get violent with you for that reason you don't know if they're gonna try to like rape you to prove you straight you know because that happens too so you know
0: yeah
1: and they just and it's just like imperceptible that like you could be happy as like an autonomous being or like Find love yeah. in places other than yeah. places, man. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's that.
0: So, how do you compare, since you've been with both, how do you compare the feeling of being with a woman? How, how is it different?
1: Um, I think there's like a level of understanding between, you know, women that is just like not there between a man and a woman. Um, you have like a shared struggle and things that you're going to like understand more about each other that you can talk about more, um, comfort each other. You know, you're going through it together, uh-huh. you know. Um, and so th- I think like there's that profound emotional aspect. You, Sex is definitely a lot, m- <laughs> it's more interesting, I would say. Like sex with women is fun, I don't know. Um, and I guess like dudes just like finish and that's like kind of it and women get to keep going and that's like a huge difference there
0: Mm um I don't know um and they're just much more experimental in the absence of the live penis yeah so I don't know um do you find that women talk about it more about sex what they're gonna do what they want to do or it's not really different
1: I think it depends like some I guess women um are like very like or a lot of the people I talk to are very like sex positive and like not like waiting for a no but like a yes right yeah,
0: yeah. so yeah.
1: like there's that and usually like talking about or asking like oh are you cool with this are you cool with that especially like if you're gonna do like bdsm stuff that's like all about consent and you have to yes. talk about that you yes. know yes Yes. um so like with with both like genders of course mm-hmm. um i think like maybe um some like more recent like male partners that i've had And stuff have actually been, like, really respectful and ask and, like, have been, like, super nice. But, like, I would say that's, like, few and far between. And I kind of, like, really um, am really selective if I choose to, like, engage with a man. Because to me it's, like, you don't know what they're going to turn into. I don't know. Or, like, what their motives really are. I just don't really, like, trust them as much of a general distrust.
0: So there's that. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think the BDSM world for sure it's mu- is much more reassuring that way because within that you know, world, men uh, have the same vocabulary and they're used to you know, negotiate before and explain everything and have the same words and kind of speak carefully, especially if they're going to dominate. Um, you know, they they want to come from a place of kind of passivity until the sex begins you know, to make sure that everything is understood. Um, To me, it's very inspiring, you know, for the rest of heteronormative society, the way sex happens in BDSM, because it's so defined. Um, Yeah, I wish we, we could do more of that. You know, like, actually discuss what we've done, what we like to do, and what we've never done, and would like to try, or, you know, whatever, openly. And, you know. Even say like for how long, <laughs> or <laughs> who ends up where, all that stuff, which I feel um, is is done more, you know, in subculture.
1: For sure, um, I think in terms of BDSM, I would rather like sub for a woman. Um, I don't know. I love worshiping women. I guess you know, so that fits for me. But um, when I've been with male partners, like for the most part, like are my sub
0: interesting yeah
1: so and i like that i like the power like you feel in that or i feel in that personally so those were really like liberating um and cool experiences yeah
0: so that's a major switch and yes. it's like gender specific
1: yes interesting there's probably like only a couple like one or two men i would like feel comfortable subbing for otherwise i would much rather dom them i think it's more fun
0: mm-hmm and what do you? Th- I mean, how do you experience that? I'm, uh, I'm curious because it is work. Um, and I think that uh, you know a lot of women who don't do it. I mean, I think it's very satisfactory. Agree with you, um, you know, spiritually <laughs> 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 and psychologically, and uh, it's just like whoa, it's fulfilling on so many other levels because it makes up for, like, real life. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. Right? Yeah. Um, It's awesome. Right. But it is work. Um, You know, like, if you compare that to, like, you know, the girl who, like, lies in bed or, you know, turns her ass up and then lies in bed again. (laughs) Um, It's, you know, I I find that it takes, you know, you have to kind of sweat. You know, it's it's not... uh, it's very different but but you kind of become the man right you you feel that you embody the the male principle because um, you're the doer you're the agent um, and the man is the recipient
1: I guess I could see that but it's more like oh this is like the power like maybe a man feels right yeah um, Yeah, but it is—it's called
0: power exchange place. Yeah, yeah, it's it's exchange for sure. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh huh. Um, I don't know. Uh,
1: yeah, I agree. Like, it, it is work, but it depends what kind of like relationship you have, what kind of partner you have. There's that, and then I don't know. It's weird. It's like whenever I would be like visible to men on like dating websites, which I'm not like anymore, they like look at me, see tattoos, and they'll be like, "Hey, would you like to like suck on my foot and." I don't know, like, peg me and all this, like, stuff. And it's like, wait, so what part of you, like, thinks, like, I'm the one, A, to, like, enact whatever, like, fantasy you have that you're too afraid to, like, ask someone else for? Like, and two, like, why wouldn't you, like, offer money for that? Like, what makes you think that I'm gonna do that for you, first of all? And, like, you're pretty much giving me a list of things that should definitely be paid for, stranger right. on the internet. Yeah, if it's a stranger if that's how you're gonna talk on to the me internet, too, right? You know?
0: <laughs> but, um. Is that, like, Fed Life? Is that what.
1: No, that happens on OK all the time. I think like
0: fet Life it's really? more
1: yeah, yeah. I, I know there's a lot on OK just saying like really weird,
0: weird, yeah, shit, like like suddenly out of nowhere. They I like make to that be sissified,
1: and I like it when people step on my dick and stuff, and I'm like, all right, I don't know why you're telling me this, but cool, good for <laughs> you, <laughs> you know. I'll be like, okay, so, like, well, if that's what you like, that'll be $200. Just mm-hmm. to see what they'd say. And it's right. usually, like, unmatched right <laughs> away. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah. And so how do you compare that to fat Life?
1: I don't use Life, so okay. I wouldn't know. I have friends that did it. And mm-hmm. it seems like Life is, like. At least from what I've heard, it's more about there's a kink community. Right, exactly. And you guys get to know each other and yes, stuff. Yes, exactly. And, like, I don't know. Yeah. It sounds nice. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've met, like, um, like my friend is really active in the king community, so she's, like, introduced me to people that she met from vet life and stuff, and they're all
0: mm-hmm. super
1: cool. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and that, yeah, that was nice. It's a completely different thing, like, people who are just in the community and they're not, I guess, like, so on the down low or something that they feel like they have to go on like random dating right. website and ask someone uh-huh. for these things and it's like
0: yeah so, so you've um, had some success with the dating apps nah. yeah yeah I can't do it <laughs> I can't.
1: it's been useful for like uh meeting women actually uh-huh. but
0: yeah so interesting yeah so that's like more human not so dehumanized you find that that's just I can Yeah, I can see how that might be more human. Because there is just less fucking translation needed, you know, when they are, you know, who they may be and what they're looking for.
1: Right. It's always, like, kind of hard to know if the person's, like, okay, is, like, this person just very much, like, socialized as typical um, female where they're cool with, like, being, like, touchy-feely and all those like stereotypical things or it's like oh or is she like laughing and grabbing my hand because she likes me and I guess like if you, you the dating website like those sorts of things are taken out because it's never like really a good experience when you try to right when you read that wrong so you read some that wrong, people yeah. are really not okay about that <laughs>
0: <So> <laughs> <laughs> yeah <That's> threatened. <laughs> yeah so <laughs> yeah so i guess i mean i'm, I'm surprised that they are you know you think that they would be flattered but yeah yeah you make sure that at least they are also looking for some queer experience and yeah yeah um and you were saying what I- what are the hype hi- you told me about the hybridization hybridization um i don't know if i'm pronouncing hybridization right. yes okay. uh events that You were organizing or participating in. Can you tell me, tell tell us a little more about that?
1: Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so I ran like a queer reading series where we read like poetry, sometimes nonfiction stories or fiction. Um, I used to run it at the Stonewall Museum. I'd like to maybe get funding at some point and run that again. Um, but I I used to um, you know, have more like uh readings with other like queer poets and writers, I think it's really important to make that space, you know, cause our, there's mm-hmm. so much, like our voices yes. aren't really heard or taken into account. Um, I don't know. And it's really nice to just like support each other um, and like have a moment to like always like charge at the door. So I try to like make sure people get paid and stuff. And like, it's, you know, I don't know. It's a good experience.
0: Yeah, Yeah. Okay. Yes. So I want to close our talk with, you reading a a short poem of yours i think that would be nice for a closure sure so do you wanna do you have something that you can give us really quickly from your book
1: totally um so yeah my book's called necromantic
0: Mm -hmm. um
1: you can either get it and romantics in parentheses you can get it on amazon you can get on small press distribution um i know which poem it is i'm just finding the page Okay, so this is called On Dying Alone. Dying alone, alone with a cat, a cat with a witch, an old witch, alone with a cat. I will be that lady, the old lady without kids, without kids except the kids in the neighborhood. Kids in the neighborhood afraid, afraid of me. Me? I will be a dare, a double doggy dare on Halloween. On Halloween I double doggy dare you to ring my doorbell. Ring, not on these fingers. These fingers made this house. This house blacked out, blacked out, except for a candle in the attic window, the attic window, a red light, a red light to throw everyone off, throw everyone off. Adults think I turn tricks with those treats. What a treat to be that old puta bruja sucia, a puta bruja sucia with a shotgun in a rocking chair on her stoop, on my stoop with my cat. I purr, a purr to welcome the end of everything.
0: So might it be. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, That was lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay, thank you for listening. This was another episode of Speak Sex. I'm your host, Yves Uridisi, and we'll be back next Friday. And until then, speak sex to each other. Ciao.